Hello and welcome to the Earthkeepers podcast. This podcast is for people who seek new and better ways to love and care for the earth. It's a podcast for anyone who is deeply concerned about the harm being done to the environment on a local and global level. It's a podcast that builds community and connection between people of like heart and mind. People who believe that earth care must be integrated into every aspect of life. And for many in the Earthkeepers community, that includes our spiritual practices. My name is Forrest Inslee, and today, in our very first episode, I'll be talking to my friend James Amadon. James is the executive director of Circlewood, the Christian environmental organization of which Earthkeepers podcast is a part. Now, ordinarily, you can expect every future episode to feature a conversation with someone whose work has something to teach us about caring for the earth. However, in this first episode, James and I thought it would be helpful to introduce ourselves, to tell a bit of our stories, and to help our listeners understand what Circlewood is all about. Mostly, we're going to talk about the journey that led each of us to this particular place and time, and what motivated us to create the Earthkeepers podcast. If you are interested in the more formal statements of the Circlewood mission and vision, please check us out at www.circlewood.online. For now, though, we invite you simply to join us as we talk about loving God and caring for the earth. Welcome, friends, to the Earthkeepers podcast. So, James, could you tell us a little bit about you and then I'll do the same. Yeah, I was born in England and moved to the United States when I was five and grew up in northern New Hampshire, raised in the church. Uh, I've got four siblings and have slowly made my way west out to the Seattle area where I've lived for the last 12 years, 10 of which as a pastor at Highland Covenant Church in Bellevue, Washington, and the last two and a bit as the executive director of Circlewood. And do you live with anyone? Oh, of course I do. Yeah, uh, my wife Emily and three kids. Yeah, Mary, Luke, and Teddy, who are great. Yes. So for me, for our listeners, I'll just tell you that I am Forrest Insley, and I was born and raised in Seattle. However, I've lived a good part of my life outside of the city in Istanbul, and Chicago, and Vancouver, BC, and I currently uh, am a professor in the Seattle area and live in Edmonds, Washington with my daughter, who is 17. Well, James, could you give us a little bit of foundation for what brought you to this place and to this conversation? I mean, how did your concern for the earth get shaped and and formed? What are some of the influences that you look to? For like a lot of people, I think I can trace it back to my childhood. Uh, Growing up in what we call the great north woods of New Hampshire. And... My childhood was wonderful, and I was simply immersed in the outdoors all the time and loved that. And everything from in the back section of my elementary school, every spring, the Israel River, which had been iced up for the winter, would crack, and the ice would flow out and flow onto our playground and give us mountains of ice to play on uh, for a few weeks to the beaver pond that was about 15 minutes from my house, which I used to take my dog to go down and sit quietly until the beaver came out and did their work. Just surrounded by the beauty and grandeur of a beautiful place and 
in the earth and really developed in me a love for the outdoors and for just being immersed in the world. That and I think I had growing up an innate curiosity where I looked around and just wanted to know about how things worked, ask a lot of questions and had people when I was young willing to answer those. And many of those were about the natural world. Where did clouds come from? Why are there different types of trees? Those kind of things. I think it started there. And now looking back, what's interesting to me is that that perspective was largely absent from my church growing up and my faith development. As a teenager, I had a calling to be an evangelist, which meant for me to share the good news with people. But it caused me to also ask, what is the good news? What, I w- what was I hearing? And in the Episcopal Church where I grew up, the natural world was often mentioned, but it wasn't really integrated into worship or into what we were learning in Sunday school. Because it was a small church, I went to uh, my friend's youth group, which was a Pentecostal youth group where love and care for the earth was not only not mentioned, but when it was, it was in a negative way. That's interesting to me now, but as I've reflected on it, it's not, it wasn't just absent from my church. It was, it was increasingly absent from my formal education. Like I think back to my elementary school years in the back of that playground playing on ice flows or in the spring and early summer chasing butterflies around to an incredibly creative river unit that my eighth grade teachers put together in which we were out in the area studying, learning about rivers. All of that gradually disappeared. And my high school, although it was in the middle of the woods and although there was a working farm on it and a vocational agriculture program and a forestry team, if you were headed towards college, you were headed away from all of that and pushed in different directions. And even when I went to a Christian college for my undergraduate work, studied Bible and theology, philosophy on a campus that included 700 acres of woods near the Atlantic Ocean, it really wasn't part of the curriculum. It wasn't what we were talking about. Much of the faith component of that portion of my education was about a personal faith sharing that faith with others, including social concern in it, but not, nothing really beyond that. I'm going to stop you just for a second because there's something about your story that strikes me, and that's the similarity between you as a child and Luke because he has that curiosity, the insatiable desire to know, know more about the world. And I'm wondering if you look at the world that he lives in Do you see that it's a different place, that there are different opportunities for him, especially when it comes to connecting faith and care for creation? When I think of my son Luke and his love for the world, and particularly for creatures, I think on the one hand there are increased opportunities to engage with that. A couple of years ago, I took him on an organized snake hunt in eastern Washington. He has a particular fondness for reptiles. And we were out in the field uh, picking up snakes, looking at them, things that were not available to me as a child, programs like that. 
on the other hand, there I think there are increasing forces that keep kids inside and that push them towards the types of activities both in and outside of school that continue to pull them away from learning about the habitats that they live in and developing what I would call an ecological literacy about their life and how it interacts with the wider world. And one of the fears that we have for him and for all our children is that that innate love that I think all children have for the wider world will get slowly pushed out. It's so strong in him, I don't think it's going to happen. But we do think about that. So carry on. You can tell the story where you left off, but I just thought that was a point of curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. I went to seminary after uh, undergraduate school at North Park in Chicago, a great school in a great city, and was immersed in an urban environment for the first time. And there I began to hear some talk about the integration of issues of ecology and faith, but it was really on the periphery. It certainly wasn't incorporated into the curriculum in any kind of comprehensive way. And as this was happening, what I discovered in me was a growing concern about what I was learning about the ecological crisis that we're facing. All of the life and beauty that we're losing um, in some places at a very rapid place was making me sad, was making me concerned, was making me wondering about how or what my faith had to say about it. I thought about all the creatures who are suffering, whether God cares about them, and began to see how the ecological crises that we were facing and in many ways creating were also affecting the poor and vulnerable already. And that that caused me to have to take another look at what my faith was about. In addition to that, I saw that the church in some ways was in crisis. I saw that there there wasn't a understanding of the Bible or theology that was able to engage this. It just seemed to be missing and that the church was largely on the sidelines of conversations about these kind of issues in the world. And I began to discover that for many people, they understood that the church was part of the problem and perhaps the main problem behind our ecological crises. And that that was also a major factor in losing the next generation of people from the church. I find it interesting and a little ironic that the answers that you were seeking about creation were found in the gritty urban environment of Chicago and not, in fact, in the relatively idyllic setting that you grew up in. Do you think there's something to that? Yes, I think that being in that city environment pushed me to ask more questions about the gospel's impact on all parts of life. And even in the city, we had wonderful parks. We were right by Lake Michigan. And I just kept asking, how is all this connected? If God is the God of all creation, how does this all fit? And how do you make sense of the problems that are happening personally, socially, and ecologically? Somehow, you have to make I had to make sense of that. And that's an important distinction that I think is really characteristic of you is when people talk about creation, you don't let the conversation stay in the realm of trees and birds and fish. Right. But rather you always push it out 
to be inclusive of all creation, as you put it. And that includes children and cars and cities, etc. Yeah, one of the blessings of the education that I received was learning a lot about the philosophy and theology behind how things had been pulled apart in our, particularly in our Western understanding of things. And one of the things I like to say now when I talk to groups is that we've had an understanding that we are apart from creation, set apart, distant. Creation is something other than us. And really, the scriptural message and what we have learned from ecology and study of the world is that we're really a part of creation. That is the view of scripture. That's the view of science. And those two things, I think, can help us reframe our place in the world so we don't have to think of creation as something, just something other than us. I think that's really important. When I graduated from seminary and went into pastoral ministry, I began to read a lot of people who were writing about faith and ecology from a biblical and theological perspective, from a practical component. I read also a lot of Wendell Berry, who helped me see a more comprehensive understanding of uh, culture and the place of our relationship to the natural world, particularly in American history. And that brought a lot of those pieces together for me. And as I studied that and began to practice ministry, I began to see a big disconnect between how churches arranged their common life, understood their mission, and just practiced their faith, and a kind of vision that was coming in my own mind and heart about a more integrated vision of faith. And I know that's something that has come for you as well, and I'm wondering what were the key components of that in your life? I think in my life, a lot of the work toward that that mentality has been undoing, undoing assumptions, undoing things that I'd been taught really as part of my, my faith upbringing. And it's also been a process of recovery, recovery for what on a deeper level I already know to be true. Um, I know that that creation is inclusive. I know that God cares for the whole earth. On a soul level, I know that. But on the head level, I think that I have been taught more of a maybe conventionally evangelical point of view, which is the most important thing is people, human flourishing and the salvation of souls, which is very true, of course, but it's not the only thing. The overemphasis, I think, has led to a a skewed perspective in the church and certainly was something that I wrestled with. I do remember being in Chicago where I went to school, talking to my pastor. I had graduated uh, from, from college there and was trying to figure out what to do next. felt very drawn to go home back to Washington State because I, I felt like there was work to be done in terms of, of caring for the earth that that was a work given to me specifically. It was part of my my calling. I had suspicions also that it had something to do with faith and the church as well because, like me, so many of my friends, so many of the people I knew from back home really encountered God in the natural world Yeah, in ways that were more powerful 
for me at least, than the ways I would encounter him, say, in Scripture or, or even in the, the corporate worship experience. It just, that was the place that my faith lived. It's the place where my soul was most fed and where I most sensed God's presence. And when I spoke to my pastor about this idea, like, I'll go back back home and work in forestry and maybe start a church with people who, who thought like me and, and understood God as I did. And his answer was pivotal for me, uh, not in a good way. He said to me, well, you know, God did not die for the mountains and the trees, which in his mind was, was really the sum of truth <laughs> that should guide my decision and that the motives I had to, to return were not really grounded in what was most important. I don't blame him a bit for saying that to me because I had also embraced that understanding, right? I'd, I'd also been willing to, to put the emphasis on, uh, on salvation uh, of souls and human flourishing. So when he said that, I very quickly embraced it. It's like, oh, of course, that's the answer um, because we all thought that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if that meant that I spent another 10 years uh, in Chicago doing church planting and preparing to be a missionary, really living out that, that emphasis. And it wasn't really until many years later that I began to understand that there was, in fact, a different way to conceive of, of faith, uh, conceive of the inclusive nature of God's plan for restoration and, and wholeness and salvation, and that with some open-mindedness, I could really see that that the work he wanted me to do was just much broader mm-hmm. than I had grown up thinking it was. Yeah, Forrest, I think that is a really important story to share, and I am willing to bet it will resonate with a lot of people listening to this podcast, people who have an intuitive sense of connection to God and God's presence out in the world, but have been afraid to share that or have felt like it was wrong or have been told that it was wrong. And one of the things that I want Circlewood to be able to do is to tell those people, you're not wrong. In fact, you're right. And if you've been told that uh, that's not the way, if you've squelched that in your own life and faith, uh, I want them to feel permission to let that out. In fact, they should not be on the periphery of our churches, but they should be in the center, helping us make the changes we need to make and leading the way forward. And I will say this to people who perhaps are listening right now, if that's you, I want you to feel encouraged and welcomed and strengthened and uh, hope that you will keep uh, connecting to God that way. Yeah, I completely agree. And when I was thinking this morning, asking, what would I tell people uh, when they ask me, why, why this podcast? Why, why spend time putting this thing together, uh, talking to various people about earth care? And there are a lot of reasons, but the deepest, most compelling reason for me is I want people to feel like they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Because I have felt alone uh, for much of my life, felt like I might be the only one who understood 
God in this way, who, who you know, had a, a theology that was, was different and inclusive and, and, and broader to include the whole of creation. So in my mind, this podcast really is about community. It's about belonging. It's about people recognizing that, that there are many other people whose hearts God has moved to, to understand uh, this reality. And I do think it's a reality. And it's a reality that, as you say, needs to be brought back to the heart of the church, that the church in, in many ways needs to be healed. And our worldview, our perspective, our theology needs to have a, undergo a fundamental transformation. And I think it's, it's our job to do that. And I want to say our, I mean the community of people who might mm-hmm. gather around Circlewood and gather around this podcast in particular. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think there, as, as I go and talk about Circlewood and some of these things, it's like the people come out of the woodwork and talk to me about this. And I think part, part of that is because every human being is created for connection with God, with others, and the rest of creation. And for most of us, we can draw back into our memories to our childhood and find experiences of that, that perhaps like me through education or through church like you uh, was pushed to the side. And I think that spark is still alive in everyone, that in inherent love for God and God's world is there in everyone. And we just need to light that spark and come together. And I think God will do amazing things with that. Absolutely. And this podcast is just one, one little way to fan the flame. I'm Forrest Inslee, and this is the Earth Keepers Podcast. As we pause for a moment, we invite you to reflect. As you've been listening, what parts of our stories have resonated with yours? When you consider your own views on faith, life, and earth care, do you find yourself drawn to connect with others of like heart and mind? If so, then we invite you to become part of the Circlewood community. To be honest, we really don't know yet what that community will look like. We're pretty sure, though, that it will be people like you who can help us to figure it out. What we at Circlewood do know is that there are many people around the world in whom God has placed a spark of love for creation. What we absolutely believe is that by connecting to one another, both globally and locally, we can help one another to fan those sparks into flame. What we are deeply committed to doing is motivating people to join the quiet but unstoppable revolution of environmental justice that is already underway in the world. If you want to know more about all that, stay with me as we continue our conversation with James Amidon. So where you left off in the story you were telling me about your coming to this place, you were in an academic setting and were discovering new possibilities. And I think that you pursued those uh, in academia initially, and that eventually led you here. But could you talk about some of the things that that you've done in your studies? One of the convictions I came to, which you've already mentioned, is that God's salvation is good news for all of creation. That, yes, it's for the human being. 
yes, it's for our human communities, and we don't need to leave that behind, but we need to build off of that and see a bigger, grander vision for what God is about. And I think when I was able to see that for my own life and begin to think about what that meant for my ministry, I think I began to see that this is the good news. This is what we are each called to evangelize about, to share in word and deed. And for me, that meant beginning to ask, what does that look like in my personal life, in my community, and in my ministry? I was happy being a pastor. I loved it. But I began to sense that God was calling me to help others make this change that I was going through. I felt like I was being called to be an evangelist for the full gospel, the gospel of all creation. Mm -hmm. And that feeling grew and grew and grew and grew until there was a particular moment, a morning that I was praying in our church's chapel, and I basically said to God, I feel you calling me in this direction. I'm ready to go, but I don't know where to go, who to work with, what to do. Could you send me a burning bush, a clear sign? And it was that day, not 10 minutes later, that I received an email that introduced me to you. And you had been working with an organization that was looking to help the church embrace a more fuller gospel. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of that story and how we connected. In some ways, I'm working backwards, but I got involved with an organization called Mustard Seed Associates, which was founded by Tom and Christine Sine. And I was in the organization, but also in their community. Uh, They tended to gather lots of people around them and create networks uh, of people around them, uh, which I found very appealing. So I was living in Seattle, uh, having moved back from from Turkey, and connected with them and just gradually got drawn into that ministry which at the time was doing a lot of things, but I was very intrigued both with their vision of, of community, of a different way of doing Christian community in particular, and also fascinated with their vision for, for, for moving the church to a, a better vision of what it means to, to relate to, to the earth around them. And at the center of this Part of their vision was 40 acres of land on Camino Island, uh, which is all forested land and it's a beautiful space. They had a vision to create community in this space, but to create a community that practiced respect, practiced sustainable ways of living on the land, uh, and to do so in a way that modeled for other people what that could look like. And the vision was intriguing enough that I committed myself really to helping them bring that to pass. Mm -hmm. There was a point when they gave over leadership to, uh, to me and to some others who wanted to take it to the next step. And in particular, we wanted to understand, well, what do we do with this resource on the land, this, this, uh, on Camino Island and also what is the, the next step for, for this organization to find its voice to speak to the church? And so we revamped the organization and basically decided that we needed someone with a vision that we didn't 
quite have in terms of practicality. Like, what do the next steps look like? We understood the direction we needed to go, but we knew that that someone had to come in and, and provide that that vision, and that's when you came in. So our mutual spiritual director, we'll credit John for this introduction, uh, told me about you, and I thought, ah, this this is the guy. This is the guy, and I met you, and sure enough, uh, you were the guy. So uh, and I was thinking, this is the group. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's been a it's been a great match, and I I do think it's God orchestrated, mm-hmm. and uh, we have just grown in so many ways as an organization. We renamed the, the organization Circlewood, again, under your direction. So we really thought that it was important to let you rename the organization because that had everything to do with the vision then that you were giving shape to, giving a definition to. And, you know, I've never asked you this question in a formal way, but w- where did that come from, Circlewood? We understand it in practice. We know what it means. But I wonder, how did that actually form in you as a shape for the vision? Well, I, I knew from the start that finding a new name for the new vision would be important. So actually, the first summer uh, after I started, my whole extended family had a little game where we put post-it notes on a board of suggested names. And of the 40 to 50 suggested names that were put up there, none of them resonated with me. Uh, that was helpful, certainly in telling us what maybe it shouldn't be called. But it wasn't until a few weeks later when I was on Camino, I was on the land just by myself and thinking about the wonderful vision that Mustard Seed Associates had had, thinking about the care that Tom and Christine had given to the land and thinking about their hopes and dreams and the influence of Celtic theology that has been so influential for them and so many others. And I thought, how can I find a name that captures that and captures something new as well? And part of the vision of the land was about designing it with circles in mind, which are important symbols in Celtic theology. And I thought, let's capture that sense of a circle because for me as well, circles are holistic They speak of the Trinity. They speak of things coming full circle and being connected to one another in an ecological way. So the circle for me was a symbol that had both particular Christian content connected to the past, but also could be broadly understood and connected to for the vision going forward. And then, of course, I was sitting in this beautiful 40-acre wood, and I thought, uh, I think it's circle wood. And when that name came to my lips, I said, yep, I think that's it. So we, we have an interesting conundrum in a way. When I think about Circlewood, what we're becoming, on the one hand, we're very place-based. We have this place, this land that we look to as a source, as a center. And at the same time, we intend our community to be global in a way that's not necessarily place-based or prescriptive in, in how people should think about place because every place is different. Every context has its own characteristics. Where, where do you stand on that tension? Like how do we, we exist and function and serve as an organization that is both? I think before anything else, part of what Circlewood is trying to do is learn and model 
how to embody a place-based faith. And at the center of that is Kameno Island and our plans for a sustainable retreat and education center. And learning how to care for that forest, how to inhabit that in sustainable and regenerative ways is crucial to our sense of mission and calling and what we want to do. On the other hand, or I should say also having a sense that what we are trying to do, many people are beginning to try to do all around the world. And some have been doing it for generations. And we want to connect with those folks and learn from them and also come alongside those who have a similar vision for their particular places. And our question will be, how can we support you? How can we help you see this vision into reality for your particular place? And I think that needs to be the strategy going forward to help Christians all around the world discover what it means to have a place-based faith that is caring for all creation in an integrated, holistic, beautiful, loving manner. Yeah, and I think uh, that's in some ways where the podcast comes in Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, we really want to learn from one another. We want to look at the examples that and the models that people have been building over the years. We want to hear the wisdom of people who have already thought a lot about this. At the same time, we want to connect people so that Again, they don't feel like they're alone, but so that they're actually equipped to to make a difference in their places. Yes. So, so it's 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 general ideas and general wisdom about, as you put it, place based faith. But but the specifics of it, the contextualization, if you will, is really up to the people in their places to understand where they live, to understand the story that God is unfolding in that place, to understand the grander ecology of the place, how all elements of creation interact with one another and how they ought to interact with one another maybe in a more restored and ideal sense and to work toward that ideal. Absolutely. So one of the things that I look to in terms of, of my formation had a lot to do with place, actually. My grandmother, when I was a little kid, took me... Uh, into nature, into uh, both the urban parks setting, but also into the mountains. And she was someone who taught me this practice that I now call deep listening. And in my teaching, we we actually learn how to do that. Wherever we're going, we learn how to deep listen to the place in order to understand what, what God's about in that place. But I credit her because she would stop me in my eight-year-old energy franticness running around and just challenged me to listen, to, to stop and see what was really happening. And so we'd stop in the middle of the path at Green Lake Park and she would say, what do you see? What do you hear? And I would at first hear what I wanted to hear. It's like the playground, it's just around the corner, Grandma, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but she'd say, well, yes, but what else do you see? Just be quiet and listen. And so I would actually quiet myself and invariably would say, there was one moment I remember saying, fish, I see a, a school of goldfish. Actually, at the time I called it a, a herd of goldfish. And she goes, um, I'm not really sure that's true. You hear a herd, of, you see a, a herd of goldfish? <laughs> 
And I said, no, no, really. And so I would grab her hand and take her out onto the dock out that, that stuck out into the lake there. And sure enough, if we looked into the water, there was a school of goldfish. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and because I could see them from a distance and she could not, but she was always surprised and loved being surprised by what I could see that she could not see, uh, what I would notice that she didn't notice. Then she would explain to me, again, here we come back to this idea of place. She would explain to me the reason she didn't believe me at first is because goldfish really don't belong in a lake in Seattle. That, that the problem is that well-meaning people have let their goldfish free in the lake over the years, and now it's actually become a species that is causing a lot of problems in the lake. And she would explain that, that ecological challenge to me, that yes, they're really pretty and look how cute they are, but this is what happens when a non-native species displaces the native species in a habitat. So I would learn so much from her, but it's really the practice that I learned from her yeah. to understand what was going on around me and to actually notice, yeah. to take the time to stop and listen, look, to feel, to sense on a, on a deep level. Yeah. I think what's fascinating about that is when you think about that practice and you think about what kind of... Um, what it's doing to your ability to perceive and understand the world, and then you go back and look at Scripture, you see that is all throughout Scripture, particularly in the example of Jesus. You know, when the disciples often were looking for him, where was he? He was outside, apart from people, listening to God, listening to the world around him. Thinking about your goldfish example, there's Jesus saying, cast your net on the other side because perhaps he sees the school of fish. This is the biblical way of seeing and hearing about what God is doing in the world. And I hope that more people can come to embrace that and find the kind of discoveries and learning that you have. Yes, I completely agree. So, James, I wonder if you could tell us in terms of, of your vision, your hopes for what Circlewood will become, what are some of the, the, the key things that you hope for? I think as Circlewood has developed, what's really become clear is that at our heart, we are a community of people seeking to care for creation together. And to do that in a radical way that can reform faith from the ground up, I think it means gathering a group of people who recognize the harm being done to God's world and want to repent of our complicity in that. It's a community of people who want to learn what it means to be good stewards. It's a community of people who want to connect the personal, social, and ecological dimensions of life and faith in a more holistic manner. It's a group of people who want to follow Jesus in his work of new creation. I'm excited about how that's shaping up, whether it's putting together a podcast that can connect people and bring them together and be a source of co-learning, or whether it's working hard to create a essentially a living laboratory of this on Kamano Island, or whether it's reaching out to churches, getting a chance to speak and listen to people's heart in various denominations and local churches. All of that is really exciting to me and part of what 
Circlewood is becoming. What I'm really hopeful about in terms of Circlewood is I think we have a chance to be a real catalyst for change. And that is within the church. I think we can help uh, lead others into new and vibrant expressions of what it means to be church. And I think we can be a catalyst for change outside the church as well, uh, leading the way and exploring those new ways of living and caring and connecting with those who have been at this work for a long time and perhaps have left their faith behind or has seen the church as uninterested or antagonistic. I think we have a chance to repair some some bridges that have been broken, create a more, uh, more expansive community around it. That's very exciting to me. I'll say it's exciting to me as well <laughs> because I have a very vested interest in, in part of what you just said. It really resonated with me when you talked about the people who've left their faith behind. I do wonder about what it will take for the church to, to grow enough to make room for for different perspectives that don't conform to the status quo teachings, let's say. And I think about my daughter, who has really not been able to, to find a, a way of practicing her, her faith, not been able to find a, a way of connecting to God that really makes sense to her, that doesn't seem overly formal or perhaps insincere, in its repetitiveness. And I think she is on a journey of discovery, really, to, to try to find something that for her generation will, will look different in terms of faith practice. And that's one of my hopes for Circlewood, that we, we make doors into, into possibility for people, doors to return to their faith or doors to discover faith in the first place in a way that makes sense to them and for many people, that involves understanding God in creation. Yeah, and I think we're at a time in history where, yes, it will be important to try to adapt existing churches to this new reality and make some changes within, but also to give ourselves permission to create new forms, to do some exploratory work. I think that there are gifted people out there with ideas that uh, we need to support and try particularly young people who have grown up in a world of ecological damage. They haven't known any other world. And many of them have left the faith. Many of them are holding on just barely. And I want to uh, keep them. And I want to put them front and center. And I want to hear what they have to say. And I want to unleash their creativity uh, for what the next generation of Christian life could look like. And that, to me, is the opportunity that lies before us. Well, one of the things that as we shape the podcast, we need to figure out is what are we actually talking about? And this is early on in the process. We've done very few of the interviews and have big plans for a lot more. But one of the things that that we'll be doing is is asking some thematic questions that occur mm-hmm. from episode to episode. And one of those questions that, that we think we'll be using is the question of hope. So my question for you uh, is, first of all, what causes you to despair sometimes? And then correspondingly, what gives you hope? Yeah, I think that's an important question, both sides of those. 
And I think for me, in those moments of despair, they come because I see it feels like the speed of destruction that's happening across the planet is so much faster than the speed of change. And I worry that we won't be able to make the changes that we need to make soon enough. And I actually mean that personally in my own life as well as planetary-wide. I get frustrated with the pace of change in my own life in addition to uh, everywhere else. I think what there are two main things that keep me grounded in hope. One is that at the heart of Christian faith is the cross, which seemed at the time like a victory for the forces of destruction and death, but was in fact the way that God in Jesus was actually pouring out his life for the world and bringing renewal. And that the resurrection is a sign for us that God's life and love will ultimately win, that God will renew and restore not just us but all of creation. I hope in that. That's the big hope. And on a smaller level, a more immediate level, I, my hope grows as I go around and talk to people about Circlewood and about the things that we're trying to do. I discover there are people who have been caring for creation in this way for a long time, often quietly and unrecognized. I see churches that are recognizing with a sense of urgency that they need to address this in their common life. I see young people who not only understand this but care about it and are leading the way. And I see that the love and curiosity that I had as a child for God and God's world has only deepened. And that, I think, those are really sources of hope. How about for you, Forrest? I would say, starting with the despair question, I have many reasons for despair, but the, probably the one I think about most often does have to do with the church. And my, my frustration with the deafness of much of the church to this idea that we're talking about. And again, I don't blame people. I don't think it's, it's willful. It's it's more a function of history, of culture, of, of teachings that get shaped and reiterated and repeated over the generations to get us into a stuck place. And I think the church is in a very stuck place. And so I don't see the church changing itself, much less changing society, changing culture. And yet, who, who better to do that than Christians, mm -hmm. right? Christians of, of all people should understand the the power and potential of of the gospel, really, for the whole mm -hmm. world. And and I think that it's the resistance to that message, that mission, that sense of purpose that that frustrates me. And of course, that's the reason I'm doing this podcast and and that I'm part of of Circlewood. But as you put it, the pace of change seems uh, discouragingly slow to me. I will also say that, that in that is my hope. I do think in particular there are folks from outside of the North American church sphere who think differently already, in part because they don't inherit the, the weight of a certain theology that, that we live under. And I, I see innovation and, and new ideas and new practices that are very inspiring to me. And I think that particularly in the global south, there are examples that we need to emulate. There mm -hmm. are wise people that we need to learn from. Mm -hmm. I think our hope is in the global church. 
and learning what they have already learned, what they already know. Yeah, and I th- also think there are great sources of wisdom in our Christian sources, in Scripture, in tradition, in examples that have gone before us, like St. Francis, and also in the indigenous and native cultures that are present, but sometimes, unfortunately, held at arm's length. There is a collective generations of wisdom and knowledge and learning that we need to sit at the feet of as well as we go forward. Which really brings us back to this theme of community. The Mm -hmm. only way forward is going to be together because no part of our community has all the answer. And yet, if we listen to one another, we're likely to find ways forward that actually are effective and actually make sense, actually do work, actually do change the world. Yes. You've been listening to a conversation with James Amidon, Executive Director of Circlewood. Our aim in this episode has been to give you a sense of some of the core values behind the Earthkeepers podcast and to invite you to connect to the broader Circlewood community of which we are a part. In future episodes, Earthkeepers will explore ways in which we can change ourselves, our churches, our communities, and our cultures to help us care for the Earth in holistic and regenerative ways. We invite you to support us by subscribing to this podcast and also leaving a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. And finally, please share the Earthkeepers podcast with anyone you know who understands that caring for the earth is an expression of faith. When ecological Christians stand together, they amplify the impact of their resistance against environmental injustice and multiply their efforts for renewal and restoration. Earthkeepers Podcast is an expression of Circlewood, an organization whose purpose it is to cultivate transformative communities that love and care for all creation. If you'd like to learn more about the Circlewood community or the Earthkeepers Podcast, please visit our website at www.circlewood.online or write to us at podcast.circlewood.online. I'm Forrest Insley, your podcast host. Our executive producer is James Amadon. Forrest Reed is our sound engineer and the creator of our original music. Our research assistant is Rochelle Nordman. Thank you, friends, for listening. And please join us for our next conversation on the Earthkeepers podcast.